0: the letter to the church in Pagamon, the compromising church, and we'll take the text from the book of Revelation chapter 2. I'll read from 12 to 17, the compromising church. Revelation 2, 12 to 17, and it says, And to the angels of the church in Pergamos write, These things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know your work. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith. Even in the days in which Antipas, was my faithful mater, who was killed among you, where Satan dwelt. But I have a few things against you, because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to the idols and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of Nicolaitans, with which I hate. Repent, or else I will come to you quickly, and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the church. To him who overcome, I will give some of the hidden manners to it, and I will give him a white stone, and to the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. Praise the Lord. As we learn so far, the book of Revelation addresses seven letters to the seven churches in the Asia Minor, which is the uh, present day Turkey. Apparently each letter proclaimed by Jesus and written by John the Apostle pointing the strength and weakness of the recipient churches and warn each congregation to repent. On why these seven churches were chosen, one writer, Dolla Smith of Crossword.com, a contributing writer, she put it this way, Revelation's seven churches were among numbers of early Christian communities in Asia Minor, These particular seven churches may have been chosen to receive Christ's apocalyptic message because geographically the churches were located along an established secular thread roof that brought together the most populous and influential part of the province. Once the apocalyptic message was given to the churches in the, prominent, in the prominent cities, the message was spread to the Christian communities in the rest of the province. So this is just a kind of contribution why these seven churches were chosen, because of their geographical location and because of the commercial activities that goes there. And they are kind of nodal cities, you know, a kind of, um, yeah, nodal city where you have communications and, um, you know. So because it, a lot of people comes there and they interact with this church, then they spread the message. That is, uh, uh, although the seven letters in the Revelation are tailored for the named churches, These churches and their stated deficiencies can symbolize all churches in one respect or the other. The instruction given to Revelation's congregation, therefore, is valuable even to Christians today. So it's not about when it was written, it is the now that we have to look into. And accordingly, the advice in these letters is prophetic for warning present-day churches and Christians alike against those things that can take us away from the faith. We have gone through the first two letters to the Church of Ephesians, which is the lawless church, and the persecuted church, which is the the church in Smyrna, respectively. This morning we are going to look at, or rather pay particular attention, to the third letter, the compromising church as addressed to the angels of the church in Pagamos. We have read the, the text, but we'll still consult it from time to time. According to Encyclopedia Britannica, Pagamon was an ancient city located in Anatolia region, approximately 25 kilometers from the Egan Sea in the present-day Bagama Isma, province of Turkey. Pagamos was the academic epicenter and the ancient capital of the Asian Asia province and was said to be the place where parchment, a form of writing material made of animal skin, was originated. The word parchment comes from the name of the city and was invented around third century BC. Located about 50 miles north of Smyrna, Smyrna, on a high hill dominating the valley below. Pergamos served as a fortress city with a population of about 120,000 people, but there were over 300 theaters. It was like a royal city, and most important, most important royal Roman officials reside and held his courts there. The city of Pergamos was also notorious for its pagan practices, as we can see in verse 13 of where we've just read. It made it clear that Pergamos was a dark kingdom and the very seat of Satan. It was here that Satan had his throne. People worshipped different gods. There was a large altar to the Greek god Zeus that looked like a great throne on a hill. This statue stood on a rock about 40 feet high and 300 feet up on the hill. There was yet another god there Asclepius was the god of Pergamon. He was the god of healing, and people came to Pergamon from all over the world to receive healing from their illness. Asclepius means the savior, and no wonder the Christians would not approve this knowing that only Jesus is the savior of mankind. Also the sign and or the symbol of this Asclepius was serpent. The Christians will not accept that either. Why? Because Satan came in form of serpent to deceive Adam and Eve. The people in the city They worshiped many other gods. Pergamon was the city, or rather the center of government in Asia. The head of the government was Caesar, the emperor. And who sees himself as God that must be worshipped and addressed as Lord? Again, the Christians could not make such declaration because... To them as well as to us today, only Jesus is the Lord. Now in verse 12 of um, where we've just read, it says, and to the angel of the church in Pergamos writes, these things says he who has sharp two-edged swords.'" This implies the supremacy of Christ over the emperors and the kings, over Caesar. They may have power and authority to kill, persecute men and to harass the church, but the Lord Jesus is stronger and more powerful than any earthly authority. He has the whole world in his hand. He has two sharp-edged swords in his strong, in his, and he's stronger than any world power. We talk about already on Friday. We were, we gathered here for prayer for the Ukraine and the situation in Ukraine. All these things are politi- you know, political um, interests that is playing out, people are losing their lives, property, cities are being destroyed, lives are taken at random. We are crying, the politicians are breathing hot air, but they are doing nothing. Why, because all these things are serving their interest. One of my educators said that in a situation, the reason why they create wars and instability is somehow to stimulate their economy. In a war time, many people lose their uh, finances, they lost everything. But the power of the world leaders, the currency of dollar, the currency of euro gains those who invest in gold they, they they see their money growing and if they don't if there is no war everything will be okay in a situation like this these world powers they sell their um, war you know destroy um, their munitions. this is the only opportunity for them to sell so we should not be deceived. What is happening there and every other places is just because of political interest. Nothing short of that. But what we are saying, what we are, the Bible is saying to us, that Christ himself is greater than that. He has the power to change and revise all these things. No power, no king can be equal to him. He is greater than them all. He has them, the heart of the kings, in his palms that he can change it at any time. What our own is just to pray. We need to pray. We need to be constant in prayer. Remembering the, bringing our leaders, the politicians, the kings, all of them, we need to lift them up in prayer. For God to change their hearts because the heart of man is full of evil. So, here, what he's saying is showing his superiority, he's showing that he's still in control no matter what is going on. We should not lose our faith. Here, Jesus is saying, I know about your troubles. In verse 13, I know about your troubles. He knows the kind of people that these people, the Christians were living with, their environments, their neighborhood, the activities that goes there. These say that these are not friendly people. They worship many other gods. This is not, this this. Was the place where Satan is very strong and he says but you remain true to my name you did not stop having faith in me it is when things are going well it it is very very easy you know or rather when things are hard it's easy for us to go close to God, or rather, when it is hard, really, really bites, you see that many people will be discouraged. When there is persecution going on, many people will hide. You will find it difficult to identify yourself as Christian. In the northern part of uh, where I come from, Nigeria, we have the Muslims. And there's, there's these, um I can say, terrorist groups that is, you know, kind of ravaging the place. But what happened is, in the south, where most of us come from, it's more of Christianity. And for those that travel, sometimes they are encountered with these terrorists and all the rest of them. What they will ask you is, first of all, to know whether you are a Christian or a Muslim. Then you see many of them hiding their Bible. You see many of them denying their faith. Well, from a human perspective, they, are, they can do that in fear of their lives. Because by saying that, identifying yourself as a Christian, you are in trouble. Anything can happen. They can behead you or, you know, do something. So some of them will say we are not. So what am I saying? This letter here, he said that, that Jesus is saying here that he understands the environment. He knows what is going on. He knows that people are very unfriendly. Persecution is going on. Things are not happening. You know, people are afraid. Yet, he commend them for maintaining faith, faith in the face of all this. So we are called in any circumstances to remain faithful, to know that God is in control. Though we fear for our lives, But holding firm to our faith is greater than even our lives. Apostle John tells us about a faithful witness, Antipas, who was not afraid to speak the truth. He remained faithful even to the point of death. These are Matthias. like i said some of us can easily denounce our faith in the face of such challenges out of fear but this guy uh, Antipas was not afraid even to tell caesar even to speak in the hostile environments even to look at, the, even in the uh, Satan enclave, he preached the gospel. He stands for the, for the truth. He proclaimed Jesus before the people. Now, the letter to the Church of Pergamon commends this congregation for upholding its faith, despite cities the city's pervasive pagan influence. What about the present-day churches? Are we free from these vices? The answer is capital no. We are not free. We are still being persecuted for our faith in Christ. Our neighbors remain unfriendly, aggressive, paganism is still ongoing. Our generation still worship idols and other gods accept, you know, and expect us to conform. Our communities and cities remain the satanic throne. There is no much difference. Maybe we can see that the type of buildings in those days are different from now. Maybe the, the center of worshiping is now different from what it used to be but the same message the same problem is still here with us and that is that's the reason why this revelation came to be it is mostly for us the now the message as it was for them it is for us today even more because all these things all these vices have upgraded In those days, maybe the Christians, they could be hunted and maybe put uh, through guillotine. But today, it doesn't take that time. There is no protocols, they can just kill. We thank God anyway for the, um, the region we are at the moment that at least nobody can harass you anyhow that because you are, you are a Christian or practicing your faith, nobody can harass you directly because you have the right to, to, you know, to your faith. But then, those that operate behind the iron curtain still dictate the tune they still don't want us to say this. But do we have to listen to them? As Christians, even in the midst of all these things, we have to prove who we are. We have to identify with Christ, knowing that he is the Lord and more superior than those that walk behind the iron curtain. when we talk of aggressive paganism any legislation that comes that is against our our belief is like it's rights that you have to conform to what or rather the new order we don't have to do that we have to stick to what we believe we have to preach what we believe. We have to say the way it is in the scripture, not the way the world wants us to say it. Very soon, our Bible, if we are not not, um, uh, serious, it's going to change. A lot of things are going to be changed in order to include things that are happening, or the things that we want us to believe in today. That's not how it's going to be. Whether they change it here, or not, They will not change it here and here. We need to stand for our faith. We need to stand for what we believe. We need to say it in the valley. We need to say it in the mountain. Even under the sea, we need to say it. Because all these things, have, all these places belongs to the Lord himself. And he has power over all this. No compromise. Yet, Jesus is saying to you this morning, I know about all about this, all your troubles, all your challenges. I know about your tears and your weeping. I know about your fears and concern. I am the one who has the two sharp-edged souls. I am greater and more powerful than all these things. Keep holding fast to my name. I will neither forget you nor forsake you. In verse 14 to 15, 14 to 15 says, But I have few things against you, Because you have those who hold the doctrine of Baal, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immoralities. Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which things I hate, The letter then addressed the church church sin by denouncing some of its members for following false teachings that brought about religious and moral compromise. To start with, we need to zoom in this word compromise. In politics, compromise is a strength. You know, you don't have to stay, especially when it comes to negotiations you you don't have to be rigid in order to make things move you have to compromise here and there in order for things to move to the world that is okay it's absolutely okay and it's a strength for the world and to those in the world if you are not if you are a, if you are a politician and you are rigid, you are not going anywhere. You have to dance to the tune of this one, Satan's tune. You dance a little bit of God's tune so that you blend them together. So that people like, to, you, 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 people want, want to, you know, you have to speak what people would like to hear, not what you want, really want. So to politicians, it's a good strength it's a strength you know political strength and the weapon for negotiations but when you look you know when we look at it holistically compromise is not a christian quality when it comes to our faiths it's not at all we should not compromise and here is what the uh, a dictionary definition says that compromise is the expedient acceptance of standard lower than is desirable. Expedient acceptance of standard that is lower than is desirable. A concession to something of standard or rather something derogatory or prejudicial so when we are looking at it from christian perspective it's completely no go area you can comp- it's okay absolutely okay in the world but in the in the house of god compromise is strictly No-go area, and that is why, that is the one of the things that God holds against this church, and that's why it's called the compromising church. We don't need to compromise. We need to stand firm in what we believe. We need to compare what the world compare the world standard with the biblical standard, the scripture. If it doesn't conform, we don't need to compromise. We maintain the scriptural standard. That's how we should be. It's not about a little to the right and a little to the left. No. You have to maintain your faith. You have to walk the walk. Why? Because God is with you. He said he will never leave nor forsake you. So already he has made it known to you. Challenges will come. Satan will back, but he's not going to bite. At the end of the day, yeah. he can only scare you. And the definition of fear, as they said, is um, uh, is it um. F- I just just escaped my mind it is it is but there is one word False evidence For, appearing real, real. Yeah. thank you so that is fear false evidence appearing real and that is you know Satan is a manipulator he will show you a very bad picture image that when you look at it you are scared He will, you know, kind of amplify the situation. A little thing, a little situation, he will just blow it out of proportion that when you look at it, you will be scared completely out. But you need to understand his schemes. What Satan hates is patience. If you are patient, he's not going to go far with you. Because it's like he will be breathing hot air on your back. You just look and keep on walking. You just look back, keep on walking. Don't mind him. That is his tactics. And if you don't understand it, just a little move behind you, you are out. So because of this, all these things, because they compromise, God hold it. Against them so as we said compromise is the expedient acceptance of standard lower than is desirable a concession to something derogatory or prejudicial these are the few things that were wrong within the church in Pergamon there was false teaching going on, and they also engaged in sexual immoralities. The teaching of Balaam and Nicolaitans were just the same. And they are being taught in the church of Pagamon, And some of the members believed it and were following those there. Eh? And if you want to know more about this, um, the Balaam, it's in the, num- uh, I think the book of Number. When the Israelites, after crossing the Jordan, they encamped in Moab. So when the king of Moab, which, which, um, Balak, saw this crowd, he was afraid. And he, ha- he knew what the Israel, the strength, he knew that the God they were serving was so great that nobody, so he called Balaam to cause the Israelites. When this Balaam consulted God, you know, before he take his uh, whatever, so God told him not to do, not to embark on that journey. But because the, uh, the king persisted, he went in the end instead of cursing the israelite he blessed them and balak was not happy with that at some point they reached compromise balaam now told him that the only way you can get these people is to bring them to sin once they sin they break the link with god and that the two ways that he drew the children of Israel to sin was, number one, through eating things that were sacrificed to their gods. Things that were unholy. And also, by getting them to engage in sexual immoralities with the people of Moab. That was their downfall, and God was not happy with that. So that same teaching is what they brought into this church. And they were telling them that everything is okay. You don't need to, you don't, the, 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 one of the things is that the, the, the Ten Commandments is no more, um, you are not binding. The Ten Commandments is no more of your concern. You have to do what you want to do. You are free. Even your body, you can do what you want to do with it. So that was the teaching, which is completely wrong. And the children, or rather the, the Christians in the in Pagamos were kind of tilting towards that. We, even today, we do such things. Some people may walk in here, some Christians, staunch believers, they may walk in here and look at you know, what the first thing, they will, they will look at our gadgets. You know, all the techni- uh, technical stops. How, you know, sophisticated it is. If it's not to the standard they are used to, they are out. They will look at the AC and the, you know, how the heater. They will look at all those things that are. Some Christians argue that pop, you know, the Christian music has to be like, it is in the world the R&B you know it has to conform you have to wrap in order so that those out there unbelievers will come in listen guys we don't need to go to that stage Stay in order for sometimes once you compromise you find out that you are no more in control when those influence will not come in because you, consider, you, 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 you went down to their level, it's hard for you to come up again. You remain where you are and they will dominate and direct the whole things. I'm not saying we should not be open for the unbelievers. They have to be with us. We need to bring them. We love them. They have to, we, we desire that they will sit in here and listen to the scripture. But one thing we will not compromise is for them to be, you know, at the steering wheel. Because once they are in control, we are out. And God is not happy with us. Church, no compromise. So the teaching of Balaam and Nicolaitans were just the same and they are being taught in the They teach that the law the Ten Commandments was no longer for Christians and that Christians are free to do and do and say whatever they wish They also teach that the physical body is evil. I don't know Therefore a Christian is free to do what he or she likes. I'm not against tattoo or whatever But you see, some of us see the body as a piece of art. No prejudice. I'm not against, absolutely, against um, tattoo or whatever you do with your skin or whatever. But sometimes you ask yourself, what's the game? What's the game? If God gives you your skin the way it is. He has a purpose for that. Designing it or giving giving it a different thing. Sometimes you see some putting a very huge serpent. There was this guy I saw. I was never scared as I was. He tattooed himself. Maybe it was what he did when he was young. The face and the head were completely... And I'm sure by that, he should be regretting that there are things we do in our prime that when we get to the old age we begin to regret it cure ED we begin to regret it we should be mindful of ourselves our body we should guard it jealously even inside we should know what we put in there we are we, we have the right to eat what we need to eat but is it in line something that is sacrificed to uh, I why would we be why would it be a, a, a nutrition for us what we put inside and like I said, I'm not condemning anybody for what you eat or what your habit or whatever. But the truth has to be said. What you put in goes a long way even physically to affect your, your life, your health. I ate, I don't know but a lot of sugar in those days and somehow I'm paying the price now. I'm talking about sugar, diabetes, and the rest of them. We should be, you know, moderation should be the key. Moderation should be the key. Even my kids, junk food all the time. That's cool for them, but we are not for now. But what about tomorrow? So we should be moderate, you know, direct them. This is the right thing to eat so that if you eat well now, tomorrow, you will not depend on medicine. That's another thing. So all these things is what these guys were teaching. Do what you what you what you can, eat what you have, what what is there, you don't care. Socialize, hundred percent good, but be reckless, even in your relationship. That's that's what they what they were teaching. But that was not the truth. They argue that Christ's grace has saved us, hundred percent, but therefore. It doesn't matter what you do. You can do anything that pleases you. God's grace will protect you from trouble. That's fallacy. This false teaching. It is false teaching and should not have a place in our hearts. Again, the standard of Christians are different from the worldly standard. We should always find Christian standard in what the pastors as well as the gospel ministers teach us. As we sit here, what proceed from here have to be saved. Find out those things that are necessary, those things that are truth. Accept them. Those things that are not truth, do not hesitate to throw it away. So what they're saying here is that the Christian ministers, those that preaches, including me and you, we should teach what is truth. We should not compromise. We should say the way the scripture says it irrespective of who's involved and if if the pulpit cannot impact us nothing else would as Christians so that's why standard has to be maintained at the optimum level as far as scripture is concerned we may not be happy with that But that is the truth. Somebody said, one of the writers said that truth is truth no matter what you do about it. There's nothing you can do about it. Truth is truth no matter how it's twisted. It remains what it is. Even if you're against it, it doesn't change it. So the standard has to be there at all times. The world may live by different standards. They may be reckless in what they eat and drink. They may not have rules on sexual relationship. Wrong behavior may be normal to them. Lowering the standard and rules of engagement may please the world and the enemies within. The false teachers claimed that they were not destroying the, the church, but improving the and making it more favorable and attractive to unbelievers in the court of law. That's a good point to buttress their stand. But in scripture, it's completely rubbish. God's greatest God's grace is not a license to sin. It is there for us if we stand on, our, on the grace we will not sin but when we sin because it's natural to man and we are comfortable in it and we, we believe that because of the grace that we are okay we are missing the point grace is there for us and is sufficient unto us but it's not a license to remain in sin. In verse 16. Verse 16 it says, repent or else I will come to you quickly. And will fight against them with the sword of my mouth the Lord calls on the church to repent or risk the judgment that will emanate from the sword of his mouth. Those who repent according to verse 17 those who repent will be given the hidden manna that is the grain of heaven and a white stone or a clean slate with a new identity in Christ. The significance of this today is like the Christians in Pagan, it is easy to normalize the non-Christian behavior of those around us. And allowed their behavior to dilute our value. If you can Quickly go to me with, to the book of Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33. It says, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good, ba- good habits. Awake to the righteousness and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. No compromise. That's what he's saying here.